check. Check, check, everyone. January 2nd, 2024. I've got a special one today that I never thought I would have. This is Troy Critzlow, my good friend who passed away a few years back and left us all here missing him. Part of the reason for starting this podcast was I wished I had sat him down and recorded something with him when he was here. But guess what? Rocco had the intuition to do that and has given me that file with Teresa's blessing. And so today we're putting it up and we all get to hear Troy once again talk about the things he loves. I'm by no means going to take ownership for this. I know we're playing this interview on my podcast, but this is a conversation between him and Rocco. And you don't even hear Rocco's voice in the background. You do hear it come through a little bit. And if I listen hard, sometimes I wondered if I could hear Teresa back there too. But it's just Troy at his best. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you about how good of friends I was with someone when we were all friends with Troy and we all had our experiences that were special, some of them profound. And this is as much yours as it is anybody else's who was lucky enough to know Troy. So I don't want to speak too much about that. I just really want to thank Rocco and Teresa. And that was a really good move, Rocco, to sit down and hit record on this thing. And he was on fire, dude. You got him at a good time because he was really going at it, just telling stories and talking about what he loves. And that's real special. I'm glad you did that. I'm real glad you did that. I think one of the hardest moments of my life, Rocco, was when I called you to tell you that he had gone. And... I'll speak briefly about that so people know. You were in New Mexico. You were had just gotten to a spot that Troy had told you about. And there was no service, mostly, anywhere out there. But the phone rang. And you were trying to describe it to me, where you had been. And I had to call you and tell you what had happened. And I, I know it broke your heart. I could hear it break your heart. So, I say that just to remind you how far we've all come. And everybody has their opinions on where we should be. And I personally think this scene fell apart. Our community, it came together in a big way to support his family and the people he had left behind. And we came together and we grieved Troy. But there was a lot of glue in him that kept us together that I think dissolved after he was gone somewhat. Not entirely by any means. It was just different, I think. But what I saw of our community when Troy passed away, I've never seen in anything else. 
and I've been a part of churches and programs, and we have something so special. And I think a lot of the of the the anticipation to get into this little community comes from that. And we get we get protective of it, and we should be, because it takes care. We take care of each other, and that's special. And we give back. And I saw people give so much when we lost Troy, and that really moved me. And that really felt felt like we had made something all together. But anyway, I don't want to take too much time in talking about that. I just want you to hear Troy again. And and yeah, I hope you enjoy it, everyone. This is, was, and always will be our friend Troy. Buckle up. All right, who's got the vape pen? <laughs> I almost brought my mushrooms over here, but I was like, nah, they don't be talking shit. Actually, it was the coolest thing is just getting that bike because uh, I had this other bike that I bought that was, uh, I bought because it was such a good deal, but I was, I was looking for a 67, but I ended up buying a, because it was my birthday year bike i was like i want to have that bike and then it's the same age as me i'll keep it forever and i was looking for one and i found this bike it was a 69 and it was like such a good deal that i was like ah i just talked myself into it it's a 69 it's close enough (laughs) and then i bought it off the guy and uh because the money was burning a hole in my pocket if i wasn't gonna buy it i i probably would have spent it and not been able to buy a bike and then that bike was such a downer. Every time I rode it, it would fall apart on me. And it was like dangerous. The guy that had it had no mechanical like ability and he was always using, I guess people to help him with it or something, but like the, the axle, he didn't have the spacer in the axle and he just basically left the axle loose and I'm riding it around the first day and it just felt weird. And I look at the, I feel the axe. I'm like, oh my God, this is all like loose. So I took it apart and there's no spacer in here. Like the bearings could just bind. If you tighten up the axle, the bear, the, they just bind. And then it's just like salt. It doesn't even move. I'm like, this guy could have killed me. And then it was just downhill from there. It was just kept falling apart. Like I just kept fine. I should have just taken the whole thing apart and put it back together. And because, uh, it, but it, over the course of a month I basically just had to redo everything on the bike and then uh finally this one day it was a Saturday I'm riding it I'm like god I think I got this thing like pretty good and then a car hit me (laughs) and just totaled it like the frame was bent the front end was like pushed under and I mean I'm lucky I didn't die in that accident and then um I just uh because it was the other guy's fault i i got the insurance money i sold the bike like the motor was still good um and everything so i sold it made my money back just from the parts and the motor and then i got a bunch of money from the guy's insurance so i actually made pretty good money off it and but in the course of waiting for the money from the insurance i was like well i'm looking for a 67 to my friend dennis and he's like, oh, I saw one on Craigslist in Boise. 
And he sent me the link. And I was like, holy shit, that's just what I'm looking for. So I called the guy in the car. I was, he, sent, he texted me when I was driving somewhere. I called the guy from the car. His wife answers. I talked to his wife for like a half hour. And then I called back later. I talked to the guy. And they're really cool. They were actually from Huntington Beach, but they had moved to Boise. And then I was just like, I want the bikes. I'm, I'm going to buy it. I'm just waiting for this insurance money. I was in an accident. And I, I, I was so afraid they were going to sell it before I got the money. I was calling them every day. And then by like the fourth day, they were like, Troy, it's okay. The bike's yours. We're not going to sell it the bike is yours. We're keeping it for you. <laughs> and I just saw, I was so appreciative of them. And then when I finally did get the money, it was just like a week later and I drove all the way out to Boise and then I hung out with them for the whole evening. And then I stayed at their house. They brought out all these old, um, photo albums and they, the guy had had the bike since, um, I want to say like the late seventies. And he had bought it off his friend who had kind of customized it in the mid seventies, but then got into all these drugs and needed some money. So he was like, I'll buy the bike off you. And that guy had bought it off the original owner. So he, and the guy that I bought it off of had like folders of records of every part he had bought. I have like receipts of everything. Um, the crazy thing was he had a receipt from, uh, uh, the seat company in Tahungo right down the street. And I actually had, when I moved to Tahunga, I had him make me a seat. I had this old seat pan. And I had him redo it and I had it on the bike. And then one time I was going through some of those papers or something. And one of the receipts fell out and it was, um, it was a receipt for the seat that was on the bike before. And I was like, oh, shit, Takang, like he, he got a seat made for this bike down the street back in, like, 1981. That's so weird. Like, I've now brought the bike back. Right. <laughs> it was really one of those weird um, moments. Um, yeah, I, I started uh, riding bicycles when I was really young. Really young yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you, you opened up a shop. Yeah, I was, I was doing, uh, I did everything on bicycles. I raced motorcycles and then it was got so expensive and I started, I was doing more bicycles on the side, like BMX and it just became f funner and easier and less expensive. And I could work on my own bicycles than have my, like those, you pretty much, if you raise motocross, your bike's pretty much done by the end of the year. You got to get a new one. I mean, I was a little kid. I was 11, 12, 13. I didn't have any income. So my parents would buy me. They bought me my first bike and then they bought me my second one. And I was just, I f it was just kind of like so expensive, like the parts and everything. So it was kind of like, well, I can ride my bike whenever I want. It's easy, it's cheap. And I was having a lot of fun with it. So I just kind of focused more on that. Yeah. 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 But uh, I got into uh, racing mountain bikes and later on and rode, well, I st first started racing road bikes and then I got into mountain biking and then I went back to road bikes and then uh you know I st um I kind of did uh motorcycles as like a hobby just working on them and stuff but I actually got into uh scooters like Vespas in the I want to say like the mid 80s or 
the yeah and uh the stuff that i i had some of the best times of my life hanging out with these guys that were working on scooters and we'd go on these trips and it was just like total mayhem like it was more it was kind of like punk rock kind of thing where we just like tear it up we'd go on these trips and it was just so much fun and uh um that whole thing about being able to travel and going places and with your friends i kind of got sucked into it right then with that stuff because we'd have these huge like groups of guys like there'd be like a hundred bikes and it would we'd roll into a little a town or something and i'll stay in hotels sleep on the floors and they'd be doing acid and stuff and it was just total mayhem for like a like a three-day weekend and uh I just thought I just was like, wow, this is this is awesome. And uh, I think I, you know, I just carried that over into motorcycles. You know, I used to see guys riding ch choppers in, in the 70s. There was a where we lived. There was a, a house up the street where I don't know if they were club members or uh, just kind of dirt bags. And they, I would always ride pretty fast by their house because they were always like hanging out front drinking beers with their bikes in the yard and shit and like some women hanging around looking pretty drunk. And I was always kind of afraid of them. Their bikes were super loud and noisy, like just like dirty looking. And these guys look dirty. They just look like wild men. And I remember riding by and they'd be like, hey, kid, hey, kid, kid, come here, come here, come here. And I just like shh not even look at them just keep going and that was kind of my experience for like these biker dudes i was just like those guys are fucking scary looking and uh their bikes were super loud and just like smoking and just gnarly um i always thought they were garbage <laughs> i was like because i was into motocross bikes like that I don't know. They were more performance and stuff. And the, I was just like, why is that? That thing's so loud. If it's that loud, it should be flying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just didn't get it when I was like, a, you know, nine, 10 years old. I was in the motor, motocross. Um, it wasn't until later that I kind of, when I started get, when I got more into that stuff, uh, I was like, oh, okay. Let's what see where those. I don't know. I don't remember. You know what got me into choppers again was uh, um, I was actually getting a tattoo from a friend of mine, Jimmy, um, the saint, <laughs> one of my friends up in Seattle, who uh, such a great guy. I uh, I used to just go get tattoos from him so I could hang out with him because his dad was uh, um, well. I learned this after you know meeting him. I think he gave me my second tattoo I ever got. And then over the years for like 15, 20 years, he gave me almost every other tattoo I have. And, uh, he would just tell me stories about growing up in Tucson. His dad was this, um, old biker and he had pictures of his dad from the forties. Like when he got, his dad got out of the war or whatever, he was one of those like guys that would ride around he lived in LA. He was part of the East LA Spitfires and he was actually a messenger. They would take his dad, um, would 
they would get like uh like say like the UL, ucla usc games like downtown at the coliseum they would get the film reels and then they would have to ride them across town on their bikes to deliver them and uh, that was one of their jobs jobs but he had pictures of his dad like in mexico with and his dad rode a flathead wow. like a um an 80 cubic inch flathead and he told me his dad had a bought a knucklehead at the time but he he could never get the thing started so he ended up taking him back to harley the harley dealer and said i uh, i don't want he liked the flathead <laughs> but he had all these pictures of them riding their with their club and and then later when um so he had his dad had had jimmy when he was older and uh they lived in tucson and um his dad gave him his pan head when he was 18 and it was like his old pan head that it was a beautiful bike it was um it was a duo glide and it was perfect and so jimmy was this kid with a perfect pan head that he could ride to school or whatever i was i was so it's like that's so rad that your dad gave you that and they had that they were the you know they had the yard with all the old cars and shit in the yard and random stuff and uh he told me a story i don't know i should probably shouldn't talk about jimmy's life too much but he he had some great stories and i I just when he gave me tattoos i could just sit there and listen to those stories and then it would be over and i'd be like oh shit you've been tattooing me for five hours (laughs) and uh well anyways one time i was in there and he's like oh you got to see this book it's from Japan and it was, um, he pulls out this book and it was, uh, it was called Zero Chopper Spirit. And this is probably, this is like, um, I want to say like 2002, 2001. And, you know, back then, like they had those TV shows like Orange County Choppers and Jesse James. Those were just starting to get kind of popular. And all that, those kind of choppers, I just didn't get it like the big tire bikes and stuff. But he's like, you got to look at this book. And I, he pulls out this book and, um, I just like, Oh my God, these bikes are amazing. This is this whole, I fell into it. I looked at it for the entire, I think I was there for a long time that day, like maybe five hours. And I looked at the book the whole time. I don't think I talked. And then at the end of it, it's like, I got to get this book. And I went home and I looked it up online and the guy, um, you would just basically buy from the guy that made the book. Um, it was like Chopstick was the publishing company. And uh, he sent me the book. It came like in three days. He like FedExed it or something. And he had signed in it. Like, thank you, you know. And uh, I looked at that book. Every morning I'd have my coffee and I'd look at that book and the bikes. And I just uh, I fell in love with all those. His uh, It was Shinya Kimura, Zero Engineering. And... Uh, I fell in love with the way he built bikes and he had that like wabi-sabi, like just like the, um, the aesthetic of everything. It was, uh, amazing. And, uh, I was just a huge fan of Shinya. And then, um, I ended up meeting Shinya and he moved here and he was, he lives, you know, I, I went and just said, you know, I'm a, I uh, admire your bike building and stuff. And we became friends. And uh, um, 
one of the most amazing things was Shinya uh, got invited back to go to the um, Moon Eyes. This is like 2011, I think, or 10, yeah. And uh, and he asked me if I would want to go with him because he needed help because they had he was taking like three bikes or something or or two bikes and uh, so I was like, yeah, I want to go. So I I went with him and I got to ride one of his bikes into the show and that was such a huge honor and uh, I mean I just to be able to call Shinya a friend is amazing. Like he's I think he's the best bike builder there is and everything he does i i'm just amazed where he he's able to tap into this creative um essence or whatever that he's it's just all him and i just admire all that and he's it's i don't know he's just nailed it with all his um every time he builds something i'm just like how did you think of that that is perfect um but i guess i was kind of inspired and uh and I get you know the way Shinya builds things, it um it makes you feel like I could do that because yeah. it's not perfect. Yeah. He doesn't want it to be perfect. That's his thing. He wants it to look like it's handmade. I know everybody's into making it look like it's like made on a machine or something, but that it loses something in that process. It, but you know his his stuff. It looks like somebody is riding that bike and using it there's oil on it it's dirty he uh, the welds are not i mean they're 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 sound welds but they're not like filed down and like perfect and like um it just uh so when i looked at it i was just like it made me want to do it yeah. it didn't make it so i just you know i started to i went and took a welding class and i I had some friends that were metal workers and I would go down to their shop and like hang out and like, you know, I just started doing it and I bought some cheap bikes to work on. I got some cheap bikes that, you know, I could afford at the time. I didn't have a lot of money and, uh, I just started fucking around with them and like welding and changing things. And it was just, uh, you know, kind of got lost in it. I didn't eat, you know, Harley's, I remember thinking like, I always spent like a thousand dollars was a lot for me for, for a more, if I, if a motorcycle is more than a thousand bucks, I was like, forget it. Cause I would buy like these old Japanese bikes. It'd be like, I mean, I remember I bought this one. It was like 400 bucks. It was like a Yamaha. And then a week later, a guy gave me another one for free. He's like, you like those things? And he just like, I got one of those. You can have it. And it was stuff like that. Like I remember I had a Honda 750 and the cam chain broke on the motor one day. And I remember that I knew this guy that had a, um, like a salvage place. And I, I was like, I called him and he's like, Oh, I got, I got a bike here. You can take the motor out of it. It's a hundred dollars. You just bring your tools down and take the motor out and it's yours for a hundred bucks. So I went over there. I worked, I, it was so, it looked, the bike looked like it'd been underwater. And I, I was just like, God, I don't even know if this thing's going to work. But he was like, it turns over. It'll run. It'll run. And I just sat, I sat down there for a few hours, like 
picking the dirt on crap off it just to get to the bolts and stuff and and i took it apart and i you know carried the motor out to the car or the truck and then uh went home and i put it in my i spent the time putting into my bike and like two days later i had it all together and then the bike just started right up and ran perfect i hadn't even set the time the timing on it i just put my timing plate on it and the carbs and like okay i'll see if i get it started and when i start it started right up like after a few it had a starter on it so i just you know a few times on the starter and it was just sitting there r idling I was like, I just bought this motor for a hundred dollars. And then that bike would do like 115 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> and I bought that bike for so cheap. And I was like, these bikes are, cause they're so well made. You know, they don't, that old motor, you know, it was so nice, yeah. perfect. And then, uh, I mean, it looked like shit when I got it, I cleaned it up, polished it. And then it ran amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it took me a, a long time before I ended up buying a, my first um, Harley and it was all the money I had, plus I had to borrow some and then I had nothing and I ended up having to sell that Honda just to be able to like buy some extra parts for it and stuff and it was, it's the, my panhead and I remember riding it around the day I got it because it did run, it was a friend of mine's bike and he hadn't ridden it in like 10 years or five years or something but it did run and uh i almost caught it on fire the first day <laughs> the wiring touched something some metal thing and then it was like the big flame caught came on <laughs> underneath the ignition switch and but uh riding it around i was thinking this this is the shittiest bike i've ever been on this is the biggest piece of shit but i couldn't get the smile off my face it was something about it just the smell it smelled terrible it had this like weird like smell like old oil and gas and then dirt and uh, i don't know it was something about it. but then in the i i couldn't look i couldn't wait to ride it right. and i i really didn't work on it I, too much like i just kind of just rode it around i and uh weeks just week after week and i was like just I didn't want to take it apart because I was having so much just riding around as it was like it wasn't the chopper it was just it was sort of it was pretty much stock but there was a few things that had been changed on it like a little bit like it didn't have the stock front fender and but it had the tank shift and um I just kept riding it around and I just fell in love with it even though it was like not the best braking it wasn't the fastest it was it was just something completely different than the bikes I'd ever ridden. It had the rocker clutch. It had tank shift. I had to really think to ride it. It wasn't easy. It was, and then to get it started, you had to learn the whole process. Right. I had to become like friends with the bike. And then after like a couple of weeks, I could get it started pretty quick. And I was just like that, then that made me like warm up to it. Yeah. And, uh, it just slowly became more and more yeah. like my bike. And then uh, um, I just fell in love with it, even though it was not the best bike. Right. Everything about it just totally sucked me in the history of it. And uh, um, 
don't know. I felt that's when I understood those dirtbag dudes up the street was then when I had that pen and I was like, oh, I get this. Because then I, st- you know, I started looking dirtier than usual. <laughs> I'm all, my hands are always dirty. My pants are always dirty. I started to look like those dudes, I think. I've been succumbed to that, though. And that's what made me want to learn how to just to do it myself. That's what I want to talk about right there. Yeah, I just, I couldn't deal with other people working on my stuff and getting, waiting for them, you know, or then in their time. Um, so, yeah, I would just do, and plus I was always broke, so I couldn't afford to pay other people to do it. So I would um, just learn myself. And uh, sometimes I'd fuck it up yeah. and be like, God, I would have spent mo- less money if I would have just paid somebody else. But at least now I know how to do it. And then uh, I think it's important, like, especially with an old bike, like, then, then when you're riding it, it breaks down. You know what to do. You got to know how to work on it. Yeah, you got to know how to work on it. Do you think that's how most people got into working on their own bikes? Is from. Uh maybe having to deal with some probably but i mean if you're actually really riding your old bike around um you're gonna learn learn eventually because or else it's gonna be sitting in your garage and then you're just gonna sell it because a bike that just sits around in your garage has no value and eventually you'll sell it because it doesn't mean anything to you and i think the same same thing goes for like a show bike or anything that if it's just sitting around it's got no soul to it. It's got nothing. But if you uh, if you do trips on that, you know, um, you have memories with your friends on that bike. Yeah. It becomes a part of your family and it becomes a part of you. And it's a lot harder to sell that bike too. Then, yeah. so, yeah. I mean, my shovel head's like that. It's like. Uh, yeah, it started off good, and then it just, um, I had that bike for like 10 days, and then I did a 3,000-mile trip on it. <laughs> the guy told me, like, I just had this motor rebuilt. You're not going to have any problems with it. And so I was like, no, oh, cool. And it ran really tight, and it was, like, nice. And I was like, I, I rode it from Seattle to San Diego and back in the middle of uh it was like late February and there was like snow on the ground. I rode one time. I, the first day I left, I rode um, probably 12 hours in the rain. Yeah. And then I stopped in Southern Oregon at a truck stop and I bought new long underwear. I took a shower at the truck stop and it stopped raining. It was like Medford. And then I, uh, it, it wasn't raining anymore. So I was like, I've made it. And then I rode the rest of this over the Siskiyous, but then there was snow up on the top of the Siskiyous and it was like 30 degrees, but it wasn't raining. And uh, there was snow on the side of the road. And then by the f- and then I made it down to uh, like Redding and it was just cloudy, but it was pretty warm. It was like 55 or something. Well, it seemed warm then. And then uh, that, that trip, like after that trip, I got home and uh, I had so many problems with the bike because I all the wiring that was he had original wiring still on the bike, the cloth wiring. And by the time I got to San Diego, 
all the cloth wiring it was old and it just was like rotten and it just felt the it just fell off so there was like wires that were just like bare wire and they were i blew i toasted the uh the generator because it was like the wire the yeah i was touching the frame and then it just killed it and um i think uh and then i got another generator from a guy um and then he didn't know if that was working or not he's like yeah it's been they've been sitting around or something and then it wasn't working and i was riding it around like oh it's still fucking dying and then i ended up riding home and i bought another generator and i bought a regulator and then something happened then too like the i was doing the wiring in the cold and I think I fucked something up and that wire arced on the frame too or something. And then I fucked that one up after a few hours and I was like, I'm the biggest dumb shit. Like, I don't even... And at that point, I was like, fuck it. Like, you could ride that those bikes. If you don't turn the lights on, you can go all day long. But as soon as those lights go on, you got like 30 minutes. So I would ride all day. I rode the rest of the day. And as soon as it started getting dark, I realized, oh, this generator ain't working either. My bike started cutting out. So I got like a Motel 6 or something. I parked my bike right next to the window and I charged the, I bought a battery charger, charged the battery all night. And then, okay, so fuck it. I'm not buying any more shit. I'd spent like all my money on shitty parts. And um, I ended up just, uh, I, wrote, I would ride all day until it got dark, and then I'd get a hotel. And then, I mean, it took me, like, an extra couple of days to get home. And it sucked because I had to go to this court thing, and I had to be there. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to fucking make it. Like, I, it wouldn't have been stressful if I didn't have to be home. I would have just taken my time. and But I actually had to be home by a certain day to go to this court appearance, and then... Uh, um, I remember the final day I woke up and it was pouring rain again. I had to ride the final day in rain, like another four hour, four or five hours. I mean, yeah, it was like five hours, I think. Um, and, you had to be there. and I had to be there. And then when I got there, I went to the court thing. The court was like 10 minutes and then I was done. And I was just like, oh my God, that whole time. And then, as, and then, uh, after I got home, I heard started hearing this knocking on the bike, and I was just like, "Oh, what the fuck is that?" And it turns out that the whoever had built the motor, like they put the main bearings, it was too tight or something, so it had wore like a groove on the shaft of the like the main shaft, and it was everything was all loose now, and so I had to rebuild the motor, and. uh and then, uh, so then I took the motor out and I rebuilt the motor and then, um, it was a while before I got the bike back together. Like it took me probably like a, I want to say like a year to get it back together. Cause I, I f then w I didn't have the money to rebuild it. And then when I finally got the money and then, and then I was like, okay, well I don't want to just put it back in the stock bike. I want to change it. And 
And I started building this, what it is today, but then it was like a slow process, and I ended up moving in around that time. And yeah. And then when, even when I put it back together, like I had a bunch of problems yeah. at first, and I was just like, I had to earn it a little bit. People were always like, oh, your bike runs good and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't always. And there was one time where I was like, I'm going to, I went for a ride up, up to Malibu, to Ventura. And, um, and then I was riding back on the, um, on the 118 freeway and I stopped to get gas and I, I got off the bike and then I went to grab the gas thing and the bike just fell over and i was like oh fuck and i pick it up and that dented the tank but as i was picking it up i'm looking down at the um the oil lines and one of them had tore and oil had just been pouring out and it was all over the back of the bike like i didn't even know it must have just happened like in the last few miles or something but it was weird that the bike fell over because I put the kickstand down. I don't know what the hell. It, all, it just somehow fell over. And then uh, right in front of me. So I'm looking at the oil light. Like literally they're right in front of me. And I'm looking down like, oh my God, all oil. What the fuck is this? I look and there's like almost no oil in the oil tank. And I was like, oh, I probably just ruined the motor. And uh, I was just so bummed. And then... Uh, I called my friend Randy and he's like, oh, well, what do you want to do? And it, he's like, I could come with a truck or I could go get, I could bring some oil line and oil and you could ride it home. And um, I was like, just bring the oil line and oil. And I, so he brought it, I cut a new oil line and then uh, put some oil in, I rode it home and it was fine. But it was weird. I mean, I had a dent on the tank. It's kind of a bummer, but. I was like, um, it was like the bike was telling me something like, hey, fuckhead, like, take a, look. take a look at this. Like, it fell over on its own. And then I, it was like, I'm, I'm trying to save you here. Yeah. You just rebuilt me. <laughs> yeah. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it and up. it fell over in front of me. And uh, so I wasn't really that mad about anything. I was just like, oh, the bike was just like letting me know that there was a problem because I wasn't paying attention. And, uh, and then, um, yeah, you know, then I, over the course of the next year or something, I just kept riding that bike and, um, I just, uh, became, became what it is. yeah, became my bike. It's and a family member now. Yeah. So the, um, uh, when we came over to film that day, um, like, tell me, tell me about the, tell me where you live and, and your family um that shitty little house i found uh, there was an i was up in tahunga at this with a friend going to this um this guy's uh house that had a bunch of parts and stuff and he had used to have, have a shop in tahunga and and he uh had a lot of parts in his like he had like a storage unit kind of deal and we went over there, and I wasn't really, like, I don't think I had any money to buy any parts anyways, but um, I just, after all the time I'd lived in L.A., I'd never even been up there before. It was like, what is this place? Like, I've never been around. Like, 
that part of foothill and everything it's like kind of tucked away up there and i was like god this place looks shitty enough where you could find a little house for cheap like it's just a bunch of like auto body shops palm readers and liquor stores and i like i love this place it looks like the 70s like never left it's just uh something about it it's just like so it just i thought you could it has those a lot of those little houses for after like after the war they built them they're like two bedroom kind of small and that's kind of what i wanted just something small like that with a garage and then uh anyways my i asked the guy that was living there who owned that house the the, the old um guy with all the parts and said, hey do you know anybody that has like a house they were, they're renting or i don't know why i even asked him i don't even know like it's kind of a weird thing to even ask but he was just like he's like yeah because i was like it's cool up here i never been up here before and he was like yeah it's good huh and uh, he had lived up there since the 70s owned his house and he was like you know i don't i don't really know anybody but and he started thinking about it and he's like you know a friend of mine is going to be leaving his place he's got a little house with a little workshop next to it and I was like, that's kind of what I'm looking for. And he was like, yeah, he's going to be leaving. He was actually leaving and he was going to be living with him. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. And then he told me where he lived and he called him up. He's like, hey, you know, this, you're leaving. But this guy over here, he's looking for a place. And we just drove over there. And uh, he was this other biker guy and... Um, you know, he was nice and we hung out and then um he had his like pan head in the living room and then he we in the back room he had like a his chopper roller another chopper roller and a bunch of parts laying around in the room and he had all these like old biker posters on the wall and he was just like living in, the, in that house and then um he's like yeah i'm leaving at the end of the month and uh and um I was like, how can I get into this? This is exactly what I want, need. And then um, I walked up to the rental agency and talked to them. And I don't know. It just worked out where I moved. It. He was moving out and I moved in. You slipped right in. I slipped right in somehow. And it just fell into my hand. Like, it was weird. And, yeah, and then I I, mean, I liked living up there. I got all the, there's a great roads up there. I mean, that's where people go to ride bikes around here. And uh, yeah, I didn't really know that at first. When I first got there, I was like, oh, I look at all these roads back here. There's like this is where this you know the San Gabriel um, forest starts and like uh, Angeles Crest and all. That. And then I so yeah, I just started riding around up there, and I was like, yeah, this it just was. Uh, it was a cool thing to, 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 like, I was really worried about finding a place. I thought I'd probably be living in like a, like a, like a warehouse or like a, um, like a storage unit or something. And then I found that place and, uh, and then, you know, it was, it was what I was paying at the other place I'd been living at. And, uh, so, um, and it was, I was by myself, so it was, was plenty of room just me and my dog two dogs two little chihuahuas <laughs> and uh yeah now it's like getting smaller because now i have Teresa and hunter and june living there too and it's getting pretty small and my two dogs um but you know i'm 
I like that place. It's yeah. kind of a shitty place. There's, it's always, it's kind of falling apart. Uh, I wish I owned it, but, um, you know, if I could find something like that to buy someday, that would be cool. We'll find some property. Yeah. 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 I'm on the hunt. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was weird how that whole thing came together. And then when I moved in and it was funny cause then it wasn't that easy moving in cause, uh, the guy that was moving out, he wasn't too in a big rush to move out. And at the, I had already gave notice where I was at and I was like, I had to be out of here. And he, all of a sudden he was like, well, he started waffling and saying like, I'm not, he's like, I'll probably be out by May. And I was like, dude, I already gave my notice and I gave a deposit. Like I'm done. Like I have to move in or else I'm out on the street. And I mean, when I'm the day that I arrived, he hadn't even really finished packing his stuff. He still had his bed there, furniture and boxes and stuff wasn't even packed. And I had to help him move out to be able to move in. Like they didn't even get to clean the place. You know, I moved him out and I, I even um, helped him take stuff to the dump. And he was moving parts out that were the same parts that I was moving in. Right. <laughs> And we were laughing because, and then he ended up giving me stuff. He was like, Oh, you have one of those? He, I got one too. Why don't you just keep mine? Because I don't, you know, he ended up giving me a bunch of parts and stuff. Yeah. And there was like biker paraphernalia. I still got some of it up in the shop that he left. His little weird biker trinket art that he used to do. And uh, yeah, he just left that stuff. So it came with a patina. Yeah, it had that patina. Um, but I always had a good feeling from the moment I moved in. You know, I always felt like it was supposed to be or something, and I felt good living there. That's cool. Yeah, because like, if you move into a place and then you feel like, uh, I feel weird here. I don't like the smell of this place. This is weird. and just. But that place always felt like this is right. I should. This is where I'm supposed to be. I felt good. Well, I had already knew people here in the bike. When I f came back to L.A., I had already knew people here. But I wasn't hanging out with them that much after I moved here. You know, they were doing their own thing. And, but then I met, um, I met a few people like, that kind of became like catalysts for me meeting more people. And it wasn't really until I met, I met Michael Schmidt. Um, and he introduced me to, um, Eddie and Davey and, uh, like Jeremy and I had met Sean before, but I'd never been to a shop. I'd been to the place he used to live that became Koski's shop. And, uh, so then I met those guys in, you know, they lived here in, uh, Eagle, uh, or in, um, Echo Park. Yeah. So. I just started hanging out with over at Sean's a lot yeah. and uh, we were work on bikes I and you yeah, your bike was there. Yeah. Yeah. And Sean's place is a mess. Uh, it was so cool. Like he had his charger up on that yeah, lift and there was just like shit everywhere. And it was such a great spot. And I remember I just would, you know, it, it kind of happened slowly where I met those guys 
and then uh, it just became slow and slowly we would just hang out and then more people would start coming over there and then we'd do these Moto Monday things and then more people and then it just become this huge hang like you would just go there knowing that everybody else you knew would go there yeah. I would show up there yeah and that one, one, one time I think it was a Moto Monday night we went and saw you play with Dan in Hollywood and we all parked in the, the, the alley. Yeah. Yeah. And then it would just became like all of a sudden that I was riding around and hanging with like 20, 25 guys, you know? And it, um, that was a fun time. It's kind of died off now. There's not a hang spot like they used to be. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, and then we were all like, we yeah, you just you'd see them all the time, and people would help each other with their bikes, and it became like a, a good little crew of people, yeah. you know. He's like kind of lean. <laughs> yeah, lean. He got a style. He was kind of showing off that day a little and bit. He's looking, laughing at you. Yeah, and he's like leaning. I noticed that. A, to a kind of like little turn. Yeah, he kind of crashed a couple times doing that. And that was cool. He's yeah. Still smiling. Yeah. I just want him to be tuned into his own creativity and I don't want anybody to turn it off. That's kind of what scares me about him going to school is like school is very good at just like making people little robots. Uh, I know like if you're a creative person, it's not always a great environment. It doesn't really like foster that. I mean, you might have a teacher or something that sees that in you and might help you out, but just overall the way the process of testing and just feeding information and just like learn just memorizing and stuff like that um i want him to be i i just see in him how he's really fascinated by everything and uh, you know i think all kids are like that and uh i don't want to turn that off i'm just trying to like keep the doors open for him I don't, I'm not trying to push him through any doors, but I, I just want to keep him open so he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Um, the bike thing, I didn't even like, I, I found, uh, my friend Shane gave me that bike or one of those, uh, bikes cause his son had outgrown it. And, um, you know, I, I just put him on it and he kind of figured it out on his own. Like I didn't really have to do much. I just, he didn't know even know how to turn around. I kind of showed him how to turn around because he would just go straight and run right into the fence and then he would kind of and then I would go over turn him around like flip him around and then he would ride straight into the shed and it took him like probably a week and he was like oh I can just like turn the handlebars and kind of make a u-turn and then uh I swear like about after he could kind of just like push himself around on him I'm like I took him over to the BMX track and uh in Whittier and then I didn't even like he all of a sudden was bombing down the hill at the BMX track going over the jumps and he was like racing other little kids and stuff and I'm I was I was like this kid didn't even know how to turn around two weeks ago and he's already like putting his elbows out and like I didn't know where he got that from like I didn't he just learned that from himself I mean I don't know I guess because I didn't I didn't do anything I didn't I just took him over there to see some other little kids riding and maybe he would think it was cool you know to ride around with them and stuff but 
um, he was just doing everything. Like when we got there, he was practically like jumping out of the window to get on his bike and get over to the track. He took off on his own and went like, I was trying to sign him up and cause you have to have a membership just to ride there. And then, uh, he had already like made his way over to the track as I was signing him up. And I, I just sat back and watched. I didn't even have to do anything. I'm just, the kid did it all on his own. <laughs> so, I mean, I, uh, and ever since then he just started, he would go out and just ride that bike and the driveway, like back around and around and around. He just wouldn't get sick of it. He just kept doing it. And now he's like, he's pretty good at it. Like, He's still a little small, so like I went and looked at some bikes with cranks and stuff. He could ride one, but they're really not that good. They're really heavy, and the parts on them are kind of crappy. And the they have like um, like a coaster brake, and so I'm gonna wait until he's a little taller, and then I'll get him a good bike. That yeah. But, uh, Yeah. How's he, how's he that? Yeah, he he seems to love it. Like and when we get there, he just usually flips out, and he's it's like he, you shot him out of a cannon or something. He just keeps he just he just want he cries if I take him away. Like he, he, I have to carry him on the bike. He won't let go. So when I'm like Hunter, I have to use the bathroom. I have to pick the bike up with him on it and walk to the bathroom. Cause he won't let go of the handlebars and then he'll start crying cause he wants to keep running on the track, riding on the track. And the other day was the first time he actually did the race and he was a little confused by the whole thing. Cause they had him practicing on the smaller track and then they're like, okay, the race is going to get out of the way. And then they were going to make him go on the big track and he'd never even done that before. So he was a little scared right. and he got all like, I don't know what to do. And he just kind of looked at me like, what do you want? What am I supposed to do? Like, and then they took off and he, uh, he was just kind of, and then he got bummed cause he was like, Oh, I feel bad. You know, I think he felt bad. So he was hugging me and he, they gave him a trophy anyways. And he was so like, kind of like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to ride my bike still. Like I was like, they're doing the races. Like there's just one moto for them. And then, all the bigger kids have two motos or whatever. And then he wanted to still ride the little track. And I was like, Oh, is it cool that he still rides this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just kept going. Yeah. He was just practicing the whole time. And then it was over. Everybody was like leaving and he was still on the track going. And I'm like, it's getting late. Like he's usually a bed by now. And I mean, it's like nine o'clock and uh, I'm like, Hunter, we got to go home. Like, it's getting late. And he was like, he started throwing a fit because I wanted to take him out of there and I had to carry him in one arm and the bike in the other. I think he still had his helmet on to the car and he's just f screaming and he didn't want to leave. And, and then I had to get him in, fight him to get him in the car in the seat, get his seat belt on him and his car seat. And, uh, it was a nightmare getting him out of there. And then he ended up passing out like within like another 20 minutes. He was asleep by the time we got home. And, uh, but yeah, 
I was like, damn, we were like the last people out of there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this little kid, he just never, never wanted to stop. So I, I admire that in him, his like tenacity. It's pretty cool. The apple doesn't fall. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't ride a bike when I was that age. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandparents told me I had a little bike. But for some reason, I think it had training wheels on it. I'm almost afraid to not watch him ride motorcycles. Like, I don't even want to, like, I'm almost afraid to, like, be the guy, like, watch him ride away and be, like, wondering whether he's going hit, to get hit by a car or something. Like, all of a sudden, I'm, like, the dad mentality. Like, um, like I'm going to give him my bikes. Um, but I, I have fear that, you know, he get hurt, hurt on one of them or something, which I guess that's just a common parent fear. Um, I, I guess I would, I want him to, if he's into like two wheel things, I would want him to be, yeah, I would, I would more see him go through being into bicycles than motorcycles. Like I know people like to push their kids into like motorcycles right away and stuff, but I like the simplicity of bikes yeah. and it's just like get on and go. It's your bike and you can, you know, it's your, you're the motor and I'd like to see him do that. But I, I don't, I want him to see, you know, him been into all sorts of different things. Like I take him to swim and stuff. He loves swimming and, uh, he got the yeah, yeah, he's got the base and, uh, uh, I'd like to see him try surfing he likes the ocean i took him to the ocean and it was another thing where i couldn't get him out of the water in the ocean and he was just like freaking out he saw people surfing and he just thought it was cool because he just kept freaking out seeing there the break was pretty close to the shore there were pretty small waves but he just was like freaking out that people are riding on the water like that so um you know, I'd like to see, I'd just like to help him be able to be a good swimmer and be confident. And then, you know, maybe he could get into like stuff. Like I, I just find being involved in the ocean and surfing is a great thing. So if he, if he wants to get into that, I, thought, I think that'd be cool. Don't worry about so much what's, what other people are doing and just find your creative side and do, do things that, just let your creative, you know, your creativity flow um, and don't worry about, because, you know, you don't want to see the same thing over and over again and, like, and, and making stuff that you've created with your own hands and then at the end of it seeing, like, it's very satisfying. I'm, it's like when you make music, you know, there's nothing and then you made this beautiful song or melody and then you... When I make stuff like that, I, I can just sit back and go, holy shit, I made this. And it could be nothing, but I made it. So it makes it it's just cool that you start to finish. You stuck with it, did it, and then there's something at the end. Mm -hmm. That wasn't there before. That wasn't there before, yeah. Nice. I remember the first time that I had that feeling once was I had this, like one of those old Ravel models. And I think it got broken or something and it lost some of the parts. And instead of building the actual model, I built something else. I think it was like a spaceship or something. But I thought it was so much cooler than the actual model that you're supposed to build. And I had just taken all the parts and made something else. 
And I was so into that thing. I was like, holy shit, I just, this is cool. And I made this out of all these random Ravel model parts. And there was no, there was no uh, directions to make it. I just did it myself. And uh, I remember just staring at it all for like days. I would just see it and be like, wow, I made that. That's cool. Uh, I guess that, that was like the first time I ever had that feeling. As long as I can, yeah, yeah. I, 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 there's something about riding motorcycles. It's such a good feeling when you're, especially being out in nature and stuff. I hate riding in traffic. I hate splitting lanes. And but like when we go up on Angeles Crest and it's like a quiet day, sun's nice, and the motor's running behind, underneath you, and just flowing through the curves. That's such a great feeling. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that. That, that you could have the shittiest day and you go do that and you forgot all about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why you do it all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we need to build better people and concentrate on what we have more than what we need, like buying more things. This culture is so much about like disposable um, thing, like cars, like, you buy a car, I mean, and nowadays it's nothing that you're going to keep for a long time. It's made to be like disposed of and buy a new car in a few years. I'm always like, especially with the old bikes, it's more like just buy one thing and just like cherish that, keep it. Why do you have to keep having this disposable economy? Like remember, they used to make things that would last a lot longer. I know that's cliche to say that, but furniture and things that you used would become part of your family because you'd had that thing for so long. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really into buying things that much. You know, s things wear out and you have to get new things, but I hate making payments and stuff. I like to just own everything and just keep it and uh, try to make everything a little cheaper and simpler yeah. um everybody's always trying to you know buy new cars they have payments and this and that and i'm about buying less and um spending less money so you have more time to do the things you want to do like you can live a lot simpler i mean you you know how that is it's just uh i'd rather live a lot simpler with a lot less but have more free time and more to do the things I want to do and when you die you can only take your experiences with you so don't worry about all the other crap as much you know a lot of the stuff I've had I've had for a long time and I or I bought it and I just wanted to keep it, it it's not I didn't want to just like turn it over and um I, know, I always try to get by with as little as I can. Yeah. yeah. But for some reason, I end up acquiring a lot of crap, too. <laughs> but I'm trying to keep it simple. But I'd rather have my time is more important and the memories are the things that I can do with the time is more important to me than buying things and having using all my time to make money to buy more things. Like, you know, if you could... um 
I've worked like before where I had three jobs and I was working all the time and I had a little more money, but just buy a little more things. And I was like, if I just don't buy those things, I can have all that time back, do whatever I want. You know, like make it simpler to, instead of making it, making more. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating because you buy things now and they're not like you buy a computer. That thing's useless after a couple of years. You know, you buy anything and it's like falling apart within a few months, usually like some kind of kitchen thing or something like unless you, you know, everything falls apart and then you buy another one. Well, try to find things that don't fall apart that you can just keep rebuilding or keep work get that keep working you know it's hard to do but you know we try to do that yeah. some of the stuff i've had f- probably a lot longer than it was meant to may be around <laughs> um, right but i guess uh i'm more into like spending time and having memories than i am having things you know so, think about when I, oh, I think about everything when I ride. It's like a pure stream of consciousness. Sometimes I don't pay attention to what's going on too good. Usually, what that that usually happens when you've been on a highway for a long time and you're just kind of droning on, and your mind just starts to drift away, and you're thinking about all the thing, just random stuff, and um. I'll think about everything that's going on. There's part of you is still focused on what you're doing, but then your mind is like totally lost in thought about totally random stuff. It could just be what you want to eat at the next stop, but it it could be like just thinking about people you met or things you're um, you want to do or things you want to create or um, just. Uh, yeah. Imagination. Yeah, my my it, for some reason my imagination it's like just it's a good uh, catalyst for my imagination being on the on my motorcycle. My bicycle too. It's I don't know. I that the movement just moving something clicks in my mind and I just puts me in a good mood. And then once I'm in a good mood, I'm moving and then I just like so I'm thinking about all sorts of things. And when I'm done I and I stop, I usually have a smile on my face. <laughs> yeah. Um, unless the bike breaks down and I'm stuck on the side of the road and I'm kind of pissed. But <laughs> I always hate it when my bike breaks down because then I'm, it's more about me. Like, oh, I didn't do something right or I should have noticed that. or And then I'm mad at myself. Because um, the bike is just an inanimate thing that's it's only moving because I'm making it move, you know. Um, so I gotta stay on top of it to, for it to be um, functioning well. So if it's a reflection on me if it's not functioning well. Like when I notice, oh, these bolts fell out, and now this is all loose. Um, I should have noticed that. I should have fix that before but um 
But if everything's working well and I get there and everything was good, I'm usually in a good mood. <laughs> My panhead is like, uh, like the Wicked Witch. <laughs> and uh, like sometimes she's on my side, and I don't really think of them as gender specific. But uh, like some people think like their bikes are women or something, but I don't really think that way. But if she if that bike had it, um, it would definitely be a witch because it's kind of mean. And um, we've been friendly with each other for a long time, but then it's a little bite me. And the other bike, uh, um, I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's more, and uh, I'm on a better terms with that bike. <laughs> the shovel head and me are, are like, it's like good, we're on good terms usually. I mean, it's fucked me over a few times, but uh, it's been, um, it's been a pretty good bike. I've had it break down but it still got me home. And, you know, I was like, holy, sh holy shit, how did this thing even make it home after, you know, from this trip? And then I had to fix it, but it got me home. Um, so that, that, that would be the one that I would turn to if I wanted to go on a trip or something. Yeah, that's the shovel head in the video. That's the one that's the same age as me. Yeah, yeah, I put it together. Yeah. And I kind of, uh, just the way I came about getting it. And, um, you know, we had our little trials and tribulations there for a while, but had some good moments. When we wrote, when I wrote to New York on it, uh, I just got a flat tire. Um, I got a thorn or something that, or the tube tore or something. I don't know. And I got a flat tire in that. And uh, the other problem I had was uh, when it was raining, the magneto would kind of um, kind of would leak water into it, and then the points would get wet, and it would run like shit. So I wrapped tape around it, and it was okay after that. But um, those were the only problems riding across the country. So you know. And you pulled over a bunch of times for me. Helping me on the side of the road. Oh, yeah, your bike was giving you lots of trials and tribulations. But, I mean, I've gone through all that, too, so it's not like I'm... I usually have patience for that because I've done it as well. I mean, if you've had some kind of old... any kind of old car or bike or something, you know, you go through that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only time you're, I've even seen people with new bikes, they, have, they got a lemon or something and they go through that. Just being out there uh, when everything's working and you're in the nature and the way the sun is, is positioned and the, the, the way it looks, it's like, it's very therapeutic and very, um, like you could have a shitty morning, people, you know, interactions with people not going well and you'd go out ride up in the mountains and just the feel of the bike and uh, the way it looks. It's not about going fast either. It's just being about smooth and it's just like a flowing thing. It's just you feel like at one and you're thinking about stuff and like like I said before, like then at the end of it you're like got a smile on your face. You forgot all that other crap.
at least you forgot about it while you were doing that stuff. It might come back to you when you turn, stop and then your problems might still be there. But for that moment when you were riding your bike, it wasn't a big issue. You know, you forgot about it. At least that's the idea, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, let's take a break. I could keep going on about that. Yeah. So how about that? How special was that? He's got a great voice, doesn't he? I've just listened to that interview so many times, doing emails or sending invoices. It's really awesome that it's out there, and that's a huge relief to me. That I still can't believe this this could happen. Rocco, thank you so much. Teresa. Very special to so many of us who were lucky enough to know him. And everybody has, you know, anybody who was lucky enough has a great memory or story, you know, a, a chapter in their life with that guy, and that's what he wanted. So I I think he he lived a lot in his short round here really affected so many people you know who you are we were lucky we were really lucky 2024 it's a good way to start it so thanks for listening okay well I'm gonna go now I have many things to do and very little time to do them I'm sorry I haven't done more with this little program but I promise you, I will always try and bring some quality to the airwaves. I'm not just going to fill them with nonsense. And that may mean you don't hear as much of me as you hear of others. <laughs> I don't mean that in a, in a cruel way. I just, I, I, uh, I just want to have something to say is all. That may be the hardest thing to do in life. And, uh, and I'm not going to waste anybody's time or waste my breath if there's not something to say involved in all this. So right now, I want to say thank you. Thank you and how grateful I am to have a year stretched out in front of us. We're starting on the right foot. Be patient. We'll get there. Stick around. I'm going to leave you with a song written by Rocco about Troy performed by he and the one and only Johnny Shepard. Love you guys. Happy New Year.